Welcome to Behind the White Coat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Malara, a first-year medical student. In this podcast, we listen to the stories of the people in medicine. My guests will range anywhere from your first-year medical student to doctors and anything in between or beyond. Today's guest is retired United States Army Lieutenant General Nadia West, the 44th U.S. Army Surgeon General and the former commanding general of the U.S. Army Medical Command. She is the first black female lieutenant general in the Army. Lieutenant General West was an orphan and was adopted at the age of two into a family of 11 other children. She graduated from West Point in only the third class to allow women at the academy and is the highest ranking woman to graduate from West Point. She then went on to receive her medical degree at the George Washington School of Medicine. During her first residency in family medicine, she was deployed to Operation Desert Shield and would later on finish a second residency in dermatology. Please join me as Lieutenant General West shares her story and gives us advice on leadership. And I actually want to start with Simon Askew. So just to give some context to listeners, Simon Askew was the first African-American female, first captain of the Corps of Captains at West Point. And I bring this up because, you know, Simon has said she just wants to be a great leader regardless of race and gender. And when it comes to your story, we tend to focus on that. And I bring this up with, with the question of, Have you ever felt like your accomplishments were ever altered or made you feel different about it because of all those qualifiers that have been mentioned? Yeah, that's a great question because there were times where, um, you know, I personally knew what my story was and and what I went through, but there were others that perceived that I got where I was because of some quota system or because I got a buy because I was black or a female or both. In fact, sometimes that's what people say, hey, you're a double, you're a double whammy. So of course they're going to, you know, select you. And so sometimes that was really hard because it was, you know, I I worked really hard to get where I, where I was. And um, uh, so, yeah, there were times when that was, that did overshadow things. But uh, I think the, the, the way to counteract that is just to one-on-one as people worked with me and, and saw what I was able to do, not to you know, say I was all that great, but then they could see, hey, you, know, you're, you actually did do the things that, uh, that deserved um, you know, merit or recognizing that you are capable to serve at the next level. Um, I, I can actually give you an example. A friend of mine who's actually a white male, a fellow physician, uh, and he felt comfortable enough when I got, I got promoted to major uh, below the zone, which means for anyone else in my year group. So I was actually considered in a year group that was one year ahead of me. And so the, uh, the comment was, well, of course you got picked up a little zone because you're an African-American female. And so I, I looked at him. So I, I gave him a copy of my, uh, we have something called an officer record brief. You know, the uh, items on my, uh, officer record brief kind of tells you what you did and what you do in your military career. So I had gone to airborne school, um, air assault school. I was a distinguished honor graduate of my flight surgeon course, which is another course that a lot of physicians um, don't go to. 
and uh, I had evaluations from a combat leader. Uh, so it was a non-medical, you know, leader uh, when I was uh, deployed to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, which no one in my year group. Uh, so that was distinguishing. No one in my year group had gotten deployed to Desert Shield, Desert Storm because I was a resident. And, and typically they don't send resident, but of a, of a glitch, they sent two of us. And the other one was actually five years ahead of me. So he was already a major. So it's one of those things where it was, it's sometimes disappointing when, when people say that. And the, the good news is, is the person who mentioned that was a friend of mine and felt comfortable saying it so I could actually engage him. And, and he actually saw that, yeah, you know, and he apologized. He said, hey, hey, not, I'm sorry. You know, it's, you know, but, but um, that's kind of what people think. And I d didn't mean to just demean everything that you did because when he looked at that, he goes, yeah, you know, and, and you're my friend, but I'm, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people just don't, don't understand that sometimes um, you have to look a little bit deeper than the skin to know what the person's gone through and what they've done. And, uh, um, but you know, that's, that's kind of, it, it is what it is, as they say, but the way to counter that in my opinion is just to do the best that you can don't let the naysayers, and I guess now they say don't let the haters, you know, haters going to hate, as they say, but, uh, but it still hurts. You know, we're human beings, you know, and, and for me, I'm a sensitive person, so stuff like that bothers me. But you have to, to realize, you know, my mom always used to tell me, hey, when someone says something, consider the source, you know. And, uh, and like I said, it's all, all those things, you know, are things that you can use, tools that you can use to make yourself feel better. But, but it's still, it still stings a bit when people automatically assume that we tend to put you know all these leaders as like extraordinary people that could never do this like if we saw everything you have accomplished on paper most people would be like well of course she's gonna do all that like she's just this awesome person did you ever feel that way maybe going to like west point of people who are higher up and like how did you overcome that feeling of you're just born with it. You're like, you're obviously just going to go and crush it. Yeah. And, and that's one where I never felt that way and still don't, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's one where, uh, I, I used to look at everyone else to the left and to the right and ahead of me saying, yeah, they're, they're great. They're, they're doing all these things. I could never do that. And I, uh, and I, it's still to this day, it's one where it's nothing, it's not a big deal. And I feel that it's, I'm not a big deal. I'm just someone who was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to, to be, you know, have things aligned to allow me opportunities that other people may not have had. You know, uh, Colin Powell, who is one of my, uh, one of my heroes, uh, you know, General, those are not familiar, General Colin Powell was um, an African-American four-star general early on, but he was also the, the Secretary of State. And uh, so he was quite a trailblazer as well in his own right. And so he always used to say, and I, I've heard various versions of it, but luck equals opportunity plus preparation. And so I, I think that my, you know, I've gotten a lot of the, the positions that I've had, the education I have uh, because of those opportunities. For example, West Point. Uh, West Point had just opened to women, you know, in 1976, the summer of 76 is when the first class started. Uh, had I not, I mean, had I graduated from high school a few years earlier, or, you know, I would have probably not, I know I would have, wouldn't have gone there. I would have gone to, you know, another school, maybe ROTC, but that option wasn't open for me. So I happened to be at the right age at the right time to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. 
And it's the same thing for, for medical school. Of course, I had to study and, and take the MCATs and, and do well enough that the school thought that I was, um, you know, had the sufficient potential to be a physician. Um, but I was able to, you know, again, take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, and, and being in the military, uh, as a military physician, the, the, the great opportunities I've had there. So I've, I've never saw myself as something, you know, someone extraordinary. Uh, in fact, if you you know my background, I'm I'm one of twelve adopted children. So I was, you know, I was, you know, I didn't come from a background where everyone in my family was a physician or everyone in my family was, you know, college graduates and successful. Uh, these were my parents were very hardworking people. My dad uh, enlisted in the army. Uh, he never went to well, he went to college actually. As he was older, he took some courses at, at Montgomery College, you know, community college, but never got his his uh, full degree. My mom did go to college. She did, uh, you know, she went to um, Ohio State and did journalism, which was rare during the time she was coming up. Um, so, so I, so I did have some strong. Um, take it back when I said they didn't go to college. My mom did go to college, but the, uh, the they were just humble people, uh, and they told us hard work, you know, perseverance, self discipline uh, will get you, um, and you just do the best you can in everything that you're, you're, you're offered. But the main thing they said that was more important. And my mom used to always say this thing that, you know, what, you know, what, what, what behooves a person to gain the world and lose their soul. So she said, always remember and base yourself in that success is not, you know, necessarily something external. It's being a good person. And so they tried to raise me to do, uh, to, to be, you know, be a good person. You know, my faith is very, is, uh, is, is very precious to me. And that's one of the things I'm grateful for um, from my parents is their, the faith. And my faith tradition is Roman Catholic. And um, that's helped me through a lot as well, just having faith that there's something greater than myself. And there's a mission that's greater than me. And my life is not about me. It's about what my, you know, uh, what my purpose is from, you know, my, uh, you know, from the divine source, you know, who, who knows, who knows the plan better than I do. This is, this is my, um, my belief. And so I just wanted to caveat that not trying to proselytize, but that's, you know, that's kind of what's, uh, what makes me tick. How have you instilled and kept all those values with your professional and your personal beliefs? Yeah. And, and to me, it's, it's quite easy in the, in the army. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, we have a chaplain corps. So there's a, you, know, you have medical corps, you've got infantry, armor. There's, so there's different branches um, and corps, what they call them the corps, but uh, let's say the branch. So there's actually a chaplain's branch where they have uh, chaplains who are assigned to units to help with the spiritual, um, you know, and, and not just spiritual, but they're they also uh, counselors as well of, uh, in, in each unit. So it's actually accepted in the military that there is a spiritual dimension to soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, because they are, they're in all branches um, of service. So there's a spiritual dimension to the, to, the, to the service member that needs to be nurtured just as well as, you know, the medical part and just as well as, you know, the training and doctrine command, you know, trains you. And uh, so that's that made it kind of easy. So there are chaplains of all faiths in the, um, in, in the chaplain corps. Um, we have Muslim chaplains, we have Jewish chaplains, you know, Christian, we have Catholic, you know, Catholic and uh, all the other, a uh, good number of the other denominations. And the funny thing is, it's really interesting how, uh, you know, you don't have to, you're, you're assigned to a unit. So I've had Protestant chaplains assigned to our unit and they were just as, as, as great team members as, as any because they took care of the, the, the soldier and their family. 
And so they didn't, they weren't there to, again, to convert anyone or proselytize. They were there to answer questions and to help their service members through hard times. Um, they were on the suicide prevention task force and all the different things, you know, for post-traumatic stress disorder and all the, and all the um, other types of things. So they were really a great uh, asset. And there was also in, in the Army Medical Command, we really had a lot of chaplains because they did the hospital ministry as well. And so it was easy, to me, it was easy because that was something that was acknowledged by the Army. Um, now, again, they didn't, they didn't promote or endorse any particular religion at all. And it's, it's not like, hey, you have, to go to, you have to go to church, you have to go to chapel. Whereas, funny thing, back at West Point, the, when I first started in 78, there was mandatory chapel. So you had to go to church. Pick one, but you go, you know, that was kind of that values thing that, you know, that over the years, it's no longer, but, but back in the 70s. We used to march to um, church on Sundays, which was, which was, you know, for me, that was awesome. <laughs> but for people who weren't, they would probably be like, well, why do I have to do that? But so the army does not, you know, um, endorse it, but they do allow, allow that. So it was easy to keep my faith um, in the service. The other thing is, is that, you know, the army is a values-based organization. And so we actually have army values and, you know, the, the army values of loyalty, duty, you know, respect selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. So those are the, those are the, 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 uh, the and if you look at the, the first words, it's L-D-R-S-H-I-P. And that's kind of leadership. That's kind of what the, what the acronym for the Army values. And so, so the Army, you know, tries to instill values, which if you look at a lot of those line up with what, you know, um, you know in, my, in my case, what Christian values are. Um, especially integrity, be truthful, be loyal, um, you know, do your duty, do what's required of you, have respect for other people, you know, you know, comport yourself with honor, you know, selfless service, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a very, um, you know, spiritual, you know, uh, tenet or, or value to live by and personal courage, you know, being able to, to, you know, do the right thing when no one's looking. So I think um, the ability to, you know, it's all out there. To, to try to embrace and inculcate as much as possible. That's the expectation for our uh, Army leaders is that we are leaders of character, um, leaders of integrity, um, because otherwise, how do, you, how do you lead troops if you don't have a good sense of uh, your moral compass pointing in the right direction? Right. And you went to medical school at George Washington. So you went with classmates who weren't in the military was there anything maybe that surprised you? Yeah, I, I have to tell you, it was a, it was a culture shock to me because, uh, I, you know, my, my dad was in the military, my older brothers and sisters in the military. So I grew up around the military on army bases and things like that, then went straight to West Point. And then the, the culture there is like everybody's on the same team. Um, there was something they said, your classmate is your most valuable asset. So you, everybody was, you know, going through the same situation. You wore the same uniform every day. You know, everyone understood what the cadet experience was. You all had a common goal to graduate, you know, cooperate and graduate was kind of our motto. And, um, and so that's kind of, when I first showed up to, to medical school, it was funny, we had lockers. And so the guy right next to me, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know? And he looked at me, you know, not in an unpleasant way. And it was like, um, you know, do I, do I know you? Do we, you know, and it's like, 
because I was like, hey, because, you know, at West Point, you didn't have to know a person. You could go, you know, run into someone that you not, never saw before, but then you could strike up a conversation and chat because that's because we're all all the same. And so so it's like, no, it's like, hey, but we're we're classmates. He's like, yay. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> because he's like, who is this weirdo? You know? And so it was kind of, um, it was a different, it was a different culture because everyone, I mean, everyone was pleasant. So don't get me wrong. It wasn't a horrible experience, but it was just, you know, um, it was not the same where we were all, we, Hey, we're all, you know, we're all in this together. Because there were, and there were the age difference, you know, there were some older folks, there were some that were married and had families and others, that, you know, that, that um, you know, that were younger and uh, people that came from all walks of life, same in the military, but, you know, we all over the four years at West Point kind of merged into like one, one conglomerate. And so it was really interesting. It was just really different. Everybody kind of went their own way after school. You had, you know, certain people, I remember the California guys used to wear the you know, kind of the Hawaiian shirts and shorts to school, you know, even when it was freezing cold, you know, it was kind of their little thing and they'd sit together. And then you had, you know, people sometimes did click off into different, you know, I guess people they felt comfortable with. And um, so that was kind of one of the things that was, uh, you know, kind of a shock, the, you know, just the, uh, you know, the, the lack of regimentation. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but, you know, at West Point and class starts literally, our first class of the day, 7.30 in the morning. And the, as soon as the, the second hand hit the 12, literally the, the, the professor would wait outside if it was a little early, you know, and as soon as it ended, he, he walked in, we all stood up and, you know, the section marcher reported how many people were there and, you know, who was, you know, who was absent and said, fine, take seats. So literally the first, <laughs> first class, I almost stood up when the professor <laughs> came in and it, because there was no like um, the class and the class just started. So he came in, you know, put the stuff at the lectern. People were kind of talking to you, the buzz, buzz, buzz thing. And, and he just started talking. And I said, oh, I guess class has begun. You know, I was expecting some, you know, okay, everybody stand up. Here's the professor, you know, class begins. And so it was just, a, it was just a different, uh, I think a culture shock on the regimentation that we had at West Point. Understandably, it's a military academy versus the um, kind of the individualistic, you know, again, we're all, we're all medical students, but, um, you know, it was just more, you were in your own, you were in your own zone type thing. You had your own goals afterwards too. You know, some were going to go into practice, some were going to go into research and you would just kind of go your own way. Whereas at West Point, you know, we all knew, yes, we're all graduating and going our separate ways, but we're going to be joining the army. So we all knew that that was, you know, a follow on goal. Um, so I think that was one, I don't, I don't know if it's, something that the, you know, medical school could learn from that. But it was just, I think it's changed a lot. I, I, I talked to the GW uh, team and they said that they did have some team building exercises before the school year started so you could get to know your classmates. And that's one of the things where I would have suggested, but I know they're doing that now because literally you just showed up and you started class. There was no um, there may have been a mixer or something like that, but really nothing to establish your identity as a class. But, but again, you know, throughout the year we had the little plays and things that we did. So there was, there was, we, we, we did try to come together as a, as a class, but it, it was different than what I was you know, used to at West Point because we did everything together, ate in the mess hall together, did PT together, went to class together. And so that hard to replicate in a civilian environment. What do you think maybe, from the military or your own experience that medical school could do 
if it is beneficial to maybe embrace the personal values of the students more? Yeah, that's a that's a real hard one um, to do in, in the environment. But uh, you're absolutely right. It's really important for there to be a, an, an understanding of of others, um, to embrace others, and, and make everyone feel welcome, like they're part of the team. The the army does that by shared experience, common experience. Again, in, in basic training, you all show up from different areas. And what do they do? For the guys, they shave their heads, right? They take your civilian clothes and give you uniforms. And then you all stand there and, and you, if you've seen the new new recruits coming in there and they all, you know, they all look the same. And so they start getting that, okay, well now you're all soldiers. And the person to the left and to your right, that's your buddy. And you may have to rely on him or her to save your life, or you may save his or her. So you need to get to know that person. And so there's a shared, there's, there's a forcing function in that it, it, it forces you to learn about people that you wouldn't have learned about before. And it, and it helps you develop empathy. And, and that's one where I really, I really think that that's, that's really an important trait for, for people to have to try to understand what it's like to be someone unlike yourself. And I, I go back to one of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. And um, my kids, you know, we used to have one of those minivans with the, with this, with the, you know, VCR in it. And the one movie that they know every word of it, because every time we went on a long trip, that's what we would watch. And they actually liked it too, but it was the, the scene where Coach Boone took the team to Gettysburg and, um, you know, try to form them into a team. Because as you remember, if those not familiar with the movie, it's, it, it's a true story. You know, it's a high school. In fact, I dragged drove by it not too long ago here in, the, in Virginia, Northern Virginia. And it's, it's about a, you know, school trying to work through um, race relations, you know, uh, you know, during a time on, on a football team where, you know, blacks were just joining the team and it was not a, it was not a good time. And so he's trying to, trying to build a team. And the way he did that was, you know, took him on a field trip, and then he put them in roommates and the, the two guys that hated each other, you know, and, and they said, okay, here's, ask these questions and you can't leave the room until you know all these questions about the person, other person. And it seems very, um, you know, very artificial. Okay. I'm just going to ask you a question. Who is your dad? Um, who was your mom? Where were you born? What's your favorite color or something like that. But once you got to know, you know, get to know people, then you realize, Hey, they're just like me. At the in, you know at the core, yeah, we look different, but they still have, you know, fears, dreams, um, want a good life for themselves. They you know had parents that worked hard to get them where they were. They may know their parents, they may not. They may live with their grandmother. It may be you know a different type of family, but there's some dynamic of people trying to better themselves, trying to improve themselves, or some people just trying to survive you know, just trying to be safe. And that's one thing they don't realize. Some kids who have to run the gauntlet just to get to school, right? And then there's others who have a driver that drops them off at school. Two different experiences. And for people to understand that about each other, what some had to go through to get to where they are may have been a totally different journey than you had to have. And that helps you respect other people as well. So you just don't look at them as those people or those, you know, the, you know, the troublemakers. And, you know, you, you, you just see what's going on in our society today. There's so much distrust and um, compartmental, you know, uh, categorization of people as groups 
and then judging them based upon that. Nothing new has uh, been happening up and down the ages, but it's something that's, that's it's sad that it's still going on now when we, we are supposed to be so sophisticated and, you know, so advanced. You mentioned Remember the Titans, and it seems like it was a long time ago, like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, way back in the day. But if you really think about it, like, it, re- it wasn't really that long ago. And especially nowadays, we, we tend to put ourselves under this illusion that, like, we're more enlightened, we're more sophisticated. What do you think maybe is the next step for whether it's military or medicine in terms of like diversity as a whole, like what's the next step now for all of us? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a hard one. If I knew the answer to that, I'd, I'd be a, a Nobel prize winner, you know, uh, <laughs> good news is it's getting better, right? If you, if you, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, how like they, they say public health is about populations, right? There's you can look at huge populations and you can say, okay, look at the, look at over the centuries, how health has improved since the middle ages, since that. So in, in the macro, things are getting better. But if you look, you know, individuals, you know, each individual, their health, you're going to medical school to take care of a patient, one patient at a time. And so it doesn't matter what the macro looks like, you know, for the percentage of people who have diabetes or, you know, what's the survival rate of this type of cancer. When you have it, you have it 100%. And so it's kind of like that. I think we, we, we look at the macro, it's getting better, but then we have to descend down into one person at a time and look to see how is this working in, you know, in this neighborhood, in this area. Um, just look at, you mentioned the COVID, uh, COVID-19. The, uh, you know, it's uncovering disparities in the fatality rate and the incident of, of, of having the, uh, who, who gets the disease and who dies from it. And it's funny, it's, so someone's like, why is it more in African-American populations and, and, and Latino populations? And it's like, well, you know, is it genetic? And it's like, well, it, yeah, not maybe at the DNA level, but it's genetic because of the impacts that those groups of people had just based upon how they look. Um, so it's, it's not because of there's something in their, meta, their metabolism. And it, it may be in some if, they're, if they're, they're, you know, their health is poor, but why is their health poor? Um, some personal choices, yes, but what about in those those you know health deserts where they don't have access to care? So I think you know it's it's one of those things where you know from the military perspective, I think we are getting we're we're definitely moving in the right direction um, as far as you know we've we've been on the leading edge of society. I mean, it's right now it's it's really um, you know it's sometimes you have to stop and think about someone in your team, your squad, what races are they? If someone asks you, you know, how many of this do you have in your squad or team? A lot of kids would have to sit down and actually write it out rather than just off the cuff because they don't look at each other like that. They, they're like, well, that's my buddy. That's, that's so-and-so. Um, and so we, I think if we continue down that road of just working side by side, considering ourselves soldiers, and yes, there are you know, individual identifications that we can say in, in demographics, but we're, we're all soldiers. From the healthcare perspective, I think, you know, this, we've uncovered that there needs to be better um, discussion on access to care. And I know that's nothing new. Um, and that's a, it, you know, it's a great term that we use, but how do you, how do you achieve it? And if we don't start working on it, and, and this is kind of maybe a wake up, wake up call, you know, there's a lot of things I think that the COVID, uh, you know, COVID-19 will allow us to take a really hard look at 
in almost every aspect, our preparedness. You know, how, how, do you, how do you get together as a nation? You've got different states doing different things. So politically, I think that's going to be something to look at. Our healthcare system, that really uncovered a lot of what, you know, our preparedness in the healthcare system, the whole logistics piece, supply chain, you know, this just-in-time supply theory is that, that we can sustain now. It's, it's cheaper, it's more efficient, but at the end of the day now, you know, is it more costly because we, we, we saved the, you know, um, the uh, inventory, uh, you know, control issue of not having to have warehouses and people to manage them, um, you know, that's just one example of it. But, you know, how are we going to make sure that everyone has the access to care to bring them up to a basic level of health uh, that they can enjoy, um, you know, just enjoy what, what everyone wants in their life to have a safe and healthy life. And if we've got the technology to do it, it should be something that people are, are able to access. I heard in an interview recently that you said, you know, the military goes out and, the senior leaders realized there needs to be more diversity. So they went out and recruited in areas that are underserved or unrepresented in the military. They didn't go next to the cities that have like the base right next to them. So what are some things that maybe the medical field can take? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. And one, I had a, a really, um, uh, I had, again, being in the position I was, I had opportunity to to be asked to to be the guest speaker at different areas and in, in, uh, in different forums. And I learned a lot during those hearing the other people speak. And so I was asked to speak at the um, American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. And uh, um, one of the people before me talked about this program that they had, and it was out in California. I can't remember where the program was, but they actually had started in kindergarten and they would have doctors come in and talk about like it was, they had a specialty of the week and it was an underserved, a, a kindergarten in underserved areas. And they had the ophthalmologist, you know, come and talk to them about what, do you know what an ophthalmologist is? That's an eye doctor. And do you know what this is? And so what, what kindergartners know that? But they said that's probably the, the only doctors they, you know, have seen. Maybe they had their, you know, basic shots and things like that when they were infants. But, um, you know, get just exposing them to that. Uh, I think that's really where you have physicians, current physicians, um, of color. And even if they're ones that aren't of color, just getting physicians in there um, to talk to, to kids at an early age. So they even see that as a, as a possibility. And, uh, and, and so I think that's one, maybe going into inner city areas, uh, you know, sponsoring a school as a medical or medical schools and sponsoring a school and then going in and just, you know, giving them a talk on health you know, giving them a, a little mini lecture on, on, you know, whatever, whatever they have. Cause you know how little kids are. What did you learn in class today? They go home and they tell if they have older brothers and sisters, you know, you, you don't have any idea how much um, impact that could have and how it disseminates through families and things. So that's something that that's That could be a possibility. Another program I saw and um, it was in Ohio where the school actually started again a scholarship program, I think it was Case Western Reserve, started a scholarship program and had the, uh, you know, followed the students through seventh and eighth grade. They mentored them and said, no, these are the classes you need to take in high school so you can be, you know, have the courses needed to, to have a, to get a Bachelor of Science in college. So they were starting in seventh and eighth grade 
to make sure that the kids made the choices. So they had someone to tell them what to do, uh, you know, tell or give them advice on what to do because student, student counselors, sometimes they just don't know. They're overwhelmed with a lot of the students that they have. They can't know it all. So they actually uh, mentored this one student. They, they, they had a little video that I was literally in tears at the end where they actually um, started her out seventh and eighth grade, uh, recommended this, the, you know, kept her motivated through high school to keep her grades up. Um, she took the courses in college, uh, helped her with the college scholarship through college. So this is the medical school, right? Helping her through college. And then she ended up, you know, showed a picture of her with her white coat where she got accepted at, uh, at medical school. First person in her, her family to even go to college, let alone medical school. And so I think that's, that's a way to do that too. Starting in, um, you know, seventh and eighth grade, because if you start talking to high school juniors and seniors, it's way too late. Um, it's way too late because some of the students, we learned that at West Point for recruiting, we would talk to the, you know, juniors about West Point. And one of the things that was so disheartening to me was, you know, I'd go to the, you know, some of the inner city schools in DC and the kids were like, I wish I had known about West Point. I never heard of West Point. And it was too late for them because their grades was, I would have maybe studied harder, you know, if I knew that this was, you know, this, it's for free. It's a free college. It's like, wow. So, so starting earlier, so my recommendation to West Point was, hey, we need to start earlier because it's too late uh, for them to try to, you know, fix themselves in the last two years of high school if they kind of goofed off the first two years, not even just goofed off or just not taking the courses that they need to take to be, you know, college eligible. And so, you know, that was one, one process, uh, one thing that they did. Another, another um, example that I saw that was really, really intriguing is a fifth graders. So these are 10 year olds. Uh, there was a fifth grade class where they, they said it was, it was heartbreaking that um, the, uh, I can't remember the percentage of them that had chronic diseases like old people. I mean, young kids on antihypertensives, fifth graders, you know, uh, because they, most of them were obese because they couldn't, didn't have proper nutrition or education on that. And so what they did is they partnered with the school, had the kids come in the hospital. So they, they actually had a classroom in the hospital. So part of their classes, they took them in the hospital. And so they actually, some of them the first time they'd ever been in a hospital because they just, you know, couldn't afford healthcare. They just never went. And then they would, would uh, have like the radiology tech or someone come and talk to them. And so what they would start doing is having, you know, here's, here's, here are the different, different, uh, here are different medical field um, jobs that you can do. You know, everyone can't be a doctor, but at least if they know that there's a healthcare industry out there that they can work in. And, uh, and I think with the older kids, and they had high school students, same thing, where they would have their classes, then they would spend some time in one of the departments in the, in the hospital, and then say, okay, here's, you know, you know, maybe during the summer, they could apprentice with or, you know, intern with, you know, one of these areas, and it could be a pathway for them to do, you know, go to, to RT school or, or x-ray radiology school, and then actually have a job. Uh, when they come out of, um, uh, you know, come out of high school, or at least a pathway to a skill. And so I think there's so many different ways that I think we could partner because it has to be done because we can wait for policies to change at the global level. And, and yes, that's necessary. But then what can we do today and now? And I think um, reaching out to our, our communities, 
working with, you know, like, like I said, adopt a school. And I, I think that's at least you know, maybe just one or two people, but then that's one or two people you've made a difference in. I'd like to share something with you. A friend told me, and she said it was okay to talk about it with you. But she feels as a woman of color in medicine, she feels both proud and frustrated at times. Proud about being the first in her family to go to college, but frustrated that she might be only looked at as a woman of color as opposed to just a hard worker. Yeah, and that's one where, um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be a hard one. If she hasn't read the book Lean In um, with Sheryl Sandberg, who's the Facebook COO, um, that w- I would recommend that read to her because it never, it never ends no matter how. So she's, she was at Google, she's at the top of her game. And she said, you know, and, and a lot of women feel that quote imposter syndrome um, that, Hey, I, I shouldn't be here. You know, really, I'm not good enough. Um, and, but to add on the other pressure, I think it's one where you just, you know, realize it, recognize it, and then put it over on the shelf for a while so you can get af- get down to business. You know, yes, people may look at you like that, but people, you know, again, you know, consider, my mom used to say, consider the source. Who are they to, to judge anyone else, right? I mean, who, you know, who are they to say, hey, you know, you, you won't be able, be able to do this. When I was applying to medical school at West Point, there, there were some naysayers like, hey, you know, medical school is hard. You know, you probably won't get in. And they weren't doctors, right? They never went to medical school, but they had an opinion. They were going to tell me, yes, it's hard. You know, I've heard it's hard, but they didn't go through it. So, you know, what, where is your level of expertise to judge whether or not I'd be able to make it? So I, I gave people, I mean, I'm thinking this now, but back then I would take all this stuff to heart. Um, so I would just say, try to, to try to realize that everybody is trying to figure it out just like her. Others may, may, others may have different, you know, plights or different, you know, different things, but there's a lot of insecure people that, cause no one's figured it out, right? No one has really figured it out because they haven't done it yet. They're still doing it. <laughs> they may have parents who did it. They may have families who did it. They may came, come from, you know, generations of doctors that did it, but they personally themselves haven't yet. And so um, I would, I would say that the other thing I would tell her is to get mentors and realize mentors come in all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, everything. And we want to look to people like ourselves because we're familiar with that and, and we can say, hey, you know what it's like to be what I am. But you'd be surprised that there are a lot of people that are pulling for you that are not necessarily like you. They just say, this is a person who's working hard and I want to you know, you know, help them help with whatever I, I need to do. So I would say seek out mentors. Um, one, some of my best mentors were, were white males. In fact, most of them because that's, that's who was, a, who was um, ahead of me and in, in the, in the um, jobs that I had um, in, you know, in the military. And so get mentors, ask people to help, not even help, but just to, to be a sounding board for you to sit down and say, hey, you know, here's, and not necessarily about any insecurities, but just to set up a, a professional mentorship relationship with someone who's doing the things that you want to do, um, regardless of their race or gender, or nationality, and then you can, and and then that is a way that you can start to see that there are a lot of people in your corner that are pulling for you, and the professors who think that she's, you know, they don't see the hard work that she does, um, they eventually will, and that's the same thing that happened to me. People can say, oh yeah, you got there because of this, and then they would like, but yeah, she really works hard. <laughs> she really, she really does, 
you know, um, I mean, joking, you know, I was mentioning to someone, I, I took a, a PT, we had to do this military PT test, and I was just applying for a course, and you had to have a valid test for the packet to go forward, and so I, um, I was pregnant, and so you have a profile with that you don't take it. I said, well, no, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to wait. Let's take the PT test, and I was, you know, only 20 weeks, and it was my first kid, and I was pretty good shape, so I I maxed my, my PT test when I was pregnant and the training NCO was about to have a fit. Cause he's, you know, he's like, ma'am, you're going to, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Cause you know, what if something happens, you know? And, and I just said, just keep counting the pushups and stop worrying. And I did pushups and sit-ups. So that was like a joke. It's like she maxed her test. And there were two witnesses. So they, they and they weren't giving me a, a break. And I, and I said, why did you do that? I said, because I didn't want to profile in my, you know, I wanted this course. And so I wanted to make sure they said, well, they would have accepted a profile. I said, yeah, but I didn't want a profile because then that's like, you know, an exemption from having to meet the standard. And I had a, I had a valid one. I was pregnant, but I just said, well, let me, let me, let me do the, um, yeah, I could have gotten in trouble for, for doing that, violating a profile. But when they, you know, a couple of people said, man, you really don't play, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. And so, you know, and I don't say that to say, hey, look at me, you know, but it's one where people will see you are working hard, you are trying to get it done. And you, she still has to pass her tests, right? She's still going to have to pass her tests. She's still going to have to do well in her clerkships um, and her rotations. And so uh, try not to let the, the, the haters hate um, or the haters will hate, but don't let them get to you. Just do the best you can and focus on why you're there. You know, realize, hey, I'm here so I can become a physician to, you know, meet the goals uh, and, and accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And just like everyone else to her left and right, right? They're in medical school for a reason to accomplish something to, you know, better the health of people in their communities and their, in the world and, you know, you name it to do research, whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and that's a long winded answer, but I think it's something that uh, hopefully that can, she finds some usefulness in. So we've focused on your past accomplishments and I've asked you to share with us some of your wisdom and leadership skills from these past positions. But what are some things you are looking towards in the years to come? Yeah, the uh, um, one of the things that I want to do, and again, to just as a a continuity of what my life has been about. Um, again, the way I started out as an orphan, uh, adopted by some great people uh, who adopted, you know, 11, 11 more of us. So starting off, that was basically grace and gift. And so my job is to give it back. I've, for forty years, I was able to work in an, an awesome organization you know, all volunteer force, right? Everyone that's on active duty today is, uh, is, is in the all volunteer army. There was no draftees left, right? They're all retired. So everyone in the army now is volunteered, even knowing that we are, you know, we are at war. We've got people in Afghanistan, some in Iraq and, and other places all over the world. Um, so for me to be able to work in that and serve my country, uh, was, was, was awesome. And then as a medical professional, to be able to take care of those soldiers uh, and then sailors, airmen, marine, because in a, in a, you know, you take care of, of all your service members, uh, you know, when you need to and their families. So to be able to take care of people who and especially the youngsters, just think 18, 19, 20 year olds who realize that they could they could, you know, have to give their life in service of their country. 
Um, that's just what an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. So as I, as I've been transitioning, just to be able to do the same things that, uh, you know, things that matter, um, things that make a difference to try to serve others and, uh, be more and be more involved now that I'm a little bit more stable, not traveling so much with, uh, my, with my church. I, I teach catechism. I'm on a few, uh, a few public boards and, and a, and a couple of nonprofits that, with whose goal is to improve the lives of others. One is about improving the lives of, of youth in inner city areas. And the other is um, with the, uh, you know, healthcare uh, globally, you know, providing healthcare benefits to those and, you know, clinics and, and training and the disaster response to others. And so if I can do something along that line to, uh, to continue to serve, um, that's, that, would, that, would be, that would be a good life. <laughs> We tend to have a culture like you just have to be the most hard headed person out there to be a leader. Like we glorify all these people like Steve Jobs and Michael Jordan who are like, you can't be nice to succeed. You just have to step on everyone like you have to be this individual person that's just going to succeed. Yeah, um, I, I don't I, I think the 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 what you explained um, probably is not that successful as far as I know people are. So people are successful maybe in using that. But then the question is how much collateral damage have, has, has been there, uh, you know, have they, has, have they caused based upon that, you know, and, and again, if, and maybe it's like being nice, the definition, because if we're talking like toxic leadership versus, you know, um, being firm, you know, you can be a firm leader and still treat people with dignity and respect. If you, know what the standards are and are, in, you know, are enforcing standards, you can do that in a, in a way that still give, keeps people with their dignity um, and not, you know, humiliate them, yell and scream at them and, and, you know, what the heck were you doing? You can, you can do that. Some of the, some of the best leaders I've had, one, one leader um, who I would, you know, I would go in, you know, wherever he ordered me to go, willingly if it was into the bottom of the you know going to Mordor you know <laughs> because I knew because I knew he was he was a leader of integrity um he he was ethical he would not not ask you to do anything he wouldn't do himself and he treated you like a like a, a valuable member of the team and so I would know that if he would ask me to do something it was for the right reason um, and, uh, I had no questions that he was asking me to do something shady or, you know, do something that was, you know, kind of on the edge or that something he didn't want to do, or he picked me because he just wanted to get rid of me. So he sent me there first. I never, I mean, so I remember there was one thing I was, I should have given him a, a heads up call that something happened at one of the hospitals and I, I didn't. And, um, all he did was send a note and said, Hey, Hey, these are, this is the type of thing that might've, might've been a, um, a good thing to call me about. That was it. It wasn't snarky and it wasn't like, you know, nasty and, you know, sarcastic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I felt more, I felt bad that I let him down. Um, but he didn't. And then afterwards I said, sir, I'm so sorry. I let, he goes, no, I just was trying to give you some feedback on, you know, kind of things that you need, you know, kind of on your list of things. When do you, when do you wake up the, the general or <laughs> when do you let him sleep? And so it was more of a, of a learning experience, not, you know, you jerk. And, and some other leaders would have called me up and just, you know, 
yelled at me. What the heck were you thinking? You know, he left me uncovered. I didn't know what was going on. And, and so, yeah, the end, the end, end result is the same, right? I found out that I messed up, but the way you find out that you messed up, um, that allows it to be a learning experience rather than a beat down makes a huge difference. And so I would say taking the, the main thing, um, and I'm seeing this on the boards that I'm on too. So you're talking about military and civilian. During this crisis, their first thing is, yes, they are a profit and loss you know, organization. They have shareholders, but they're taking care of their people. They're making sure their people are okay. And if your people know you care about you as a leader, they will do their absolute very best. If you yell and scream, yes, they'll do it, of course, because you're, you're, you're the boss and you're going to tell them to do it. But you may have just lost a really good soldier that would have been in for 20 years because they loved it. But they're like, hey, this is not the organization for me because I just got treated like dirt. And so you may not see the results immediately of the toxicity, but I can guarantee you um, it has an effect because if people have options, they're going to leave and you're going to lose your good people. If they don't have options, you're going to stay, but you have lost the person that's going to give their best. They will do exactly what they have to do, nothing more, because they don't want to put their neck out there and get it you know, smacked. So all that to say, I think you know, what your personality is, if you're, you, know, you, you have to be authentic as a leader. If you're a, if you're a quiet, introverted person, you can still be a good leader, an effective leader. You don't have to try to change your persona because people can tell it's fake. If you're loud and boisterous and say, okay, now I'm going to have to act like really serious because I'm a leader. People could say that for me, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, they don't know what they've just done making me a general officer. But, you know, you just have to be who you are. And, um, and we should all be working on who we are, you know, as, as far as trying to get better and better every day, um, you know, kind of reflecting, not the, you know, you know, I'm saying just try to improve. We all try to improve ourselves every day, but your personality, the type of person you are, especially if it's, but it can't be like if you're a toxic person, you, know, you should try to change that if that's, if that's the way you deal with people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you can be in a quote, I guess, nice, the word nice, I think professional, you can be professional. You can, you know, again, back to treat every human being with dignity and respect. I mean, every human being is, is unique, precious, and unrepeatable. Right. And, and that's, Hey, that's John Paul II. So that's, you know, he, I heard that once and I said, I got to write this down because everyone is, it's everyone's unique. They're precious to someone, you know, if not only, only the Lord above and they're unrepeatable once they're off this earth, they're not going to be here again. And, and so that made me stop. That really changed a lot, you know, cause you know, how people annoy you. It's like, Oh my gosh, what a, well, who am I to say that this person, yeah, they're annoying me, but, they're precious to somebody. Yes, they may be, you know, a jerk, whatever you know, name, but that's in their relationship to me. So it's not about me. It's not about, you know, judging that person based upon their interaction with me. That's a hard thing to do. That's superhuman because as humans, we are, you know, we don't like it when people are, you know, you know, that just seem to be something else, but we're called to do that because you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know what's happening. It doesn't justify things, but, um, you know, keeping that in the back of the mind can help you keep yourself in check and treat others um, with dignity and respect.
And I, I think you can go very far if you do that um, as a leader and as, as anyone is, as, because as, uh, I, I never aspired. So kind of just to say progression, I never aspired to any of the jobs that I have, uh, have, have got, gotten. Um, I didn't say, Hey, I want to be the commander of Womack Army Medical Center. And I want to be the surgeon general one day. I just was thrilled to be a physician uh, when opportunities came up and people felt that I was, you know, hey, I was one that would um, could possibly do this job. People ask, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, being in command? You would probably be good at it. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. But it's not something that I, you know, mapped out. This is this is what I'm going to do. Um, I basically bloomed where I, I planted, and so I would say that same thing for leaders. What you're what you're trying to convey to your your listeners is that you can be a leader. And I tell my privates, I said, hey. You know, the, the private, the specialists, the young, so privates are like the lowest rank in the army. It's like a, you know, E1. And I tell the little, the, the little privates, I said, you guys are leaders. And they look at me, they're like, but man, we're not in charge of anybody. I said, I said, I said, no, but you're in charge of yourself. And you are leading just by how you wear your uniform. When someone sees you, that your uniform is spotless, it's track, it's like, wow, he's squared away. I want to be like him. Or if they see you, you know, um, doing your job and really being meticulous and making sure that you've got the corners just absolutely right on the, you know, the sign that you're putting up outside the building, you know, you're leading someone, you're influencing someone. And so um, they're like, well, ma'am, I never thought of that. I said, yeah, so you can lead uh, by your actions and that successes that you have, and people will notice. They said, hey, you know, Private Jones, he squared away. I think he would be great to get promoted to specialist or private first class first and then, you know, specialist. And so, uh, you know, we're all leaders. And that's what, then I would convey that to those from underrepresented groups to think, hey, you know, someone like me can't lead. Yes, you can. You absolutely can because look how I started off. An orphan with an uncertain future. You don't have to come from a background that has successes all in there. You can come from any background. You know, start today and say, "Okay, I'm going to lead myself," <laughs> and and then we'll take it from there. I just want to end with um, thanking you for your time and thank you for your words of encouragement. Country kind of seems more divided more than ever. Any maybe final words of encouragement that you could give us all, um, not just in medicine, but everyone? Yeah, I, w- I would say that, um, you know, kind of like earlier, I mentioned the, the macro view and then the micro view. Um, if you go back up to the macro view, uh, you know, you will see in our history as Americans, uh, as a society, we will get through this, right? Because we've, we've come through some really... Um, you know, harrowing things throughout the years. I mean, been around since 1776. Just think of what we look like now um, compared to then. Look what with medicine, what we're doing now compared to um, back then. So we will, we will get through this um, on the other side and come out better for it. And, and I, I really believe that. Easy to say, you know, again, looking at, you know, from a 50,000 feet view, everything looks kind of nice you know, down on the ground, I know it's, it's really tough now. It's tough to know because there's so much uncertainty, but, um, we've, we've gone through uncertainty before in, in different areas. I mean, our, you know, you, you guys are, are, are a lot younger. 
um, talk to your parents, talk to some of the older folks. I mean, people who went through the depression, you know, I, I'm not that old. I wasn't here during the 1920s <laughs> depression, but, but, you know, just think of the times then where folks didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and so I, I think, you know, just to be, to, to know we will get through this um, and to be positive, to say, Hey, this is now an opportunity uh, to, um, you know, change things that, you know, that some systems are, you know, are, are going to be altered forever, the education system, the healthcare system. So this is actually a great opportunity for the next generation to say, okay, how are we going to make things better? You know, uh, you know, sometimes when things like when the, you know, not that I would advocate it or I'm happy, would be, ever be happy about, you know, like if you have an old house and it burns down, it's like, well, now I can build it with, you know, because if you try to fix it and tweak it here and there, it just, it's going to take forever. Now, you know, we can start from ground up with a brand new electricity system, brand new pipes, you know, all this stuff. And, and so maybe looking at it that way, you know, it's, you know, out of tragedy, what's the, the silver lining? What are some of the things that you as young folks can do um, to, uh, you know, um, change things for the better? Uh, again, it's hard. You know, we, you don't know what's coming up next. You don't know what's, uh, you know, what your, what the job situation is going to look like for, you know, physicians uh, in the future. But, um, you know, hang tough. You know, you're going to get through this. If you, if you made it through medical school, you can make it through anything. Um, and, and again, not to minimize the pain and suffering that people have gone through, but, but you guys, uh, you guys can, you guys will, do, you guys will do it. Keep your chin up and think of how you can make it better. Thank you for listening to this episode on Behind the White Coat. I hope you enjoyed it, and please stay tuned for next week's episode. Thank you, and take care.